From Arcadia, California, The Carter Report presents The Living Word Around the World. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Welcome today to The Carter Report. We have a great program for you. My special guest is Dr. Jeff Swearing. He is an astrophysicist with a great organization entitled Reasons to Believe. A group of scientists dedicated to scientific research that explores the wonders of the universe and asks the question, how did it all happen? Welcome today to the Carter Report. I wish you would come with me to a land of more than a billion souls. All in need of hearing the gospel of Christ. Did you know this, my friend? It is the duty of the Christian to take the gospel of Christ to a lost world. And the lost world I'm talking about right now is India. Land of millions and millions of pagan gods, but more than a billion lost souls. India cries out for God. We are now back on India TV. We're broadcasting on prime time in India. We need your prayers. We need your support. Is it easy in India? No, it's the hardest place we have ever worked. Harder than Russia, harder than Russia. Harder than America, harder than America. Harder than Australia, harder than Australia. Because it is a land that's given over almost totally to demonism. Now, I can tell you about those demons. I can tell you about the false gods, but what I want to tell you today is about the true God and the true God who told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're back in India. Yes, we're back in India. And by the grace of God, we're back in India to stay. We want you to come with us. We want you to pray for India. We want you to give for India and do it today. Please write to me. John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California. Write to me at Terrigal in Australia. Email me, contact me and say, yes, I'm going to stand with you in the preaching of the gospel to the lost souls of India. Thank you in Jesus' name and God bless you. Well, we're really glad that you joined us today at the Carter Report. Today, we're talking about the wonders of our amazing universe. Dr. Jeff, we're glad to have you here today. Very good to be here, Pastor Carter. You're an astrophysicist. That is correct. What is an astrophysicist? Uh, as briefly as I could say, it's a person who goes out and just asks the question, how does the universe work the way it does and what can we learn about it? And so we- Wow use, d develop different tools and try and figure out what's going on out in the universe and how does it work. Uh, that must be the most interesting job in the whole wide world. It really is. I after mean, mine. After mine. Well, <laughs> no, just kidding. kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So that's what you do. It is. It's uh, a lot of fun. So. Yes. And, and it's tremendously important. I would agree. Yes. Uh, because it's dealing with the, the greatest questions of time and eternity. Mm -hmm. uh, where did the universe come from? Why are we here? And eventually, where are we going? So we are delighted to have you here today from 
reasons to believe. Um, where did you study? I did my undergraduate and graduate work both at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. I was uh, graduated with a physics degree and then I went on to get a, a degree in astrophysics from the same school. When you studied astrophysics, what did you major in? Uh, well, my, like I said, my major was physics, and so yeah. I, I do physics with a telescope is what it amounts to. So a lot of the work I did was working on building and calibrating and operating a gamma ray telescope down in Arizona, trying to find sources of gamma rays in the, in the universe. Now, Dr. Hugh Ross, uh, your associate, had reasons to believe. He's an astronomer. Correct. How do you differ in your work to Dr. Ross? Fundamentally, there's no real difference. We use different wavelengths of light to do our observations. He used radio wavelengths. I use gamma ray wavelengths. But both of us are going out, looking out in the cosmos and saying, what's going on out there and how do we understand now, it? This is, this is tremendously important because today we live in a world where many people have lost the, the reason for living. Mm -hmm. uh, suicide, somebody has said, has become the badge of our despair because of the meaninglessness in our present day society, because people have accepted the Darwinian idea that man is the product of time plus matter plus chance. Mm -hmm. But we join forces with you today in saying that life has got meaning because there is something far more to the universe than meets the eye. Is science compatible with the story of the Bible. I ask that question because uh, people like uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins from uh, Oxford University says, you can't believe a word of the Bible, you can't believe in God. Uh, God is the God delusion. Mm -hmm. He's written books on stuff like this. Um, you are an educated person. So I want to say to the young people who are watching the Carter Report today, listen up because you're going to find out some things that are going to help you in a tremendous way and give you a purpose in living. Now, Dr. Jeff, is in your study, is the Bible, this book here that I treasure and I believe you treasure too, is it compatible with, with what you discover in the world of nature? I, I can say that in the 25, 30 years that I've been studying physics and trying to understand the universe and in the roughly same amount of time that I've been studying scripture, I have never found anything that is a genuine contradiction between the two. So yes, I find that science very much does support the idea that God has revealed himself through the scriptures. Now, is it not true that science and theology are in conflict today? Science and religion are in conflict, but not nature and the Bible. I would say that some scientists want to make science conflict with religion or Christianity. But science is changing all the time. Well, we're getting a deeper and deeper understanding. There are certain things that we know to be true of the universe. And as we get deeper and deeper, we find these details and certain things do change. But the, the big picture is I understand. remarkably constant. Uh, but we would not want to deify science, would we? Because no, I agree. a few years ago, Einstein and all the scientists believed in the steady state theory for the universe. That's correct. That was the uh, prevailing model uh, at the time. Yeah. And so if we'd lived back there, we would have said, well, uh, here you got science and here you got scripture. And um, there's a conflict here. Uh, 
but science has moved on from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, therefore, but however, would you believe that God gave us two great books? Now, not all Christians like to hear this, but God gave us two great books. He gave us this divine revelation Absolutely. of himself in Holy Scripture. We believe in the great Protestant principle in the Carter Report. We believe in sola Christos, only Christ. Sola Scriptura, only Scripture. Sola Gratia, only grace. Sola Fide, only faith. So God gave us this book, but he also gave us the book of nature. Absolutely. And nature, when rightly read by people like you, tells the same story as the word of God. Yes, as, I, I agree. Yeah. As far as the origin of the human race is concerned. Genesis 1.1, it has been said by many great uh, scientists, and by many scholars and theologians, there you have the most, the most important sentence or the most important few words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right. And so Moses in the book of Genesis tells us that there was a time when in the beginning, God created the cosmos or the universe, the heavens and the earth. So the Bible points to a time of a beginning. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in science that supports the idea that the cosmos had a beginning? I would say very much so. Uh, you know, what's remarkable is that if you go back 100 years ago and ask that question, then scientists would have said, no, the universe didn't have a beginning. But when you look over major... Only, like only 100 years. Only 100 years, yeah. Or less. You know, so you go and then you look at Einstein's development of mm. his theory of general relativity, mm. says that constant laws govern the universe. Hubble measures the expansion of the universe. Yes, yes. We measure these uh, laws of decay where the universe is running down. We measure the cosmic microwave background. All of those point to, when you do all the calculations and ask what is the conclusion, it points to the idea that the universe began to exist. I understand that there is a picture of Hubble having a meeting with Einstein. Correct. And he is showing Einstein the evidence for the expansion of the universe. Right. Because up to this point of time, uh, while Hubble had believed in uh, the expansion of the universe, Einstein found this idea uh, disconcerting, mm -hmm. that the universe should be exploding out. But if it is exploding out, as Hubble pointed out, and Einstein later came to believe it, virtually every scientist believes today, I understand, if it is exploding out, it's proof that it had a beginning. Very much so. In fact, I, I would argue the evidence of how strong that beginning is, is that scientists have looked for a lot of ways saying, did it really have a beginning? And they've tried all sorts of ways. Maybe the expansion's not uniform. Maybe mm. this, maybe that. And all of those answers come back and say, ah, no, there really was a beginning. It's a remarkable, remarkably scientifically sound statement that the universe began to exist. Now, I want to say this to my Christian friends uh, who watch the television program and who are suspicious when they hear the term the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, that's, that's got to be evolution. Well, of course, you and I know it's got nothing to do with evolution. And in fact, 
is one of the greatest evidences against evolution because to have evolution, you've got to have infinite time virtually. But when you have a universe that started only so many years ago, mm -hmm. it shows that evolution can't work. Now, this idea is called, of course, the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the Big Bang and how this seems in your thinking as a cosmologist and a scientist, how it seems to support scripture. Well, there's three or four fundamental attributes of a Big Bang universe. One is that it has a beginning. Two is that it's expanding. Yes. Um, three is that it is cooling down, and mm -hmm. that, that's just a direct consequence of expansion under constant laws of physics. Mm. And four is that there's this law of decay. Well, you look at our universe, and scientifically speaking, the universe began to exist. It's expanding. Yes. yes. It's cooling down, and it's got this constant law of decay. So I would say, you know, the Bible talks about a Big Bang-type universe, and we measure a Big Bang-type universe. If God is the revelation, or the, the source of the revelation in the book of nature and the book of Scripture, that's exactly what we would expect to find. Where they talk about the same thing, they're going to agree. So I want to say to the people who are watching today, I want to say, listen to this. Science today is giving us tremendous evidence to believe in God and believe in the Bible. You'd, you'd agree with this, wouldn't you? Wholeheartedly agree. And, and this is what you research. I want the young people, doctor, to, to understand that your research as a scientist has led you to believe in the truth that the Bible can be trusted. It now, has given me great confidence that the Bible is indeed the revealed Word of God. I could almost say hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to have a little break, my watching audience. Then we're going to come back in a minute or so, and, and we're going to talk about the anthropic principle. Now, don't dismiss it because it may save your soul. I'd like you to get this magazine. It's called Ebenezer. It's the Carter Report magazine that we put out. It's got lots of good stuff in it. Now, it's free, but you've got to write to us. Contact us. Write to me. We'd like to give this book to you. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Did you ever have a sense of destiny? Did you ever feel that God has put his hand upon you for some tremendous task, that you've really got a purpose, that God has called you for such a time as this? I have that sense, that conviction today because God is opening up doors for us in Latin America. And in Latin America, my good friend, there's a revolution going on. It's not a revolution in the streets. It is a revolution in the hearts of men and women. That's why the Carter Report is going to go to El Salvador. We are renting an outdoor stadium with room for more than 60,000 souls. And we're planning a baptism in the, on the Sabbath afternoon of more than 5,000 born-again souls in El Salvador, in Latin America, where there's a revolution going on, where the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Don't you want to be a part of this great purpose, this great task, this God-designed uh, outreach? 
to Latin America. Would you please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900,000 Oaks, California. Tell me, I'm going to support you. Write to me in Australia. Tell me, I'm going to support the preaching of the gospel. Write to me today and support the preaching of the Word of God around the world. But right now, in Latin America, thank you and God bless you. Welcome back, friends. We're talking to Dr. Jeff from Reasons to Believe, an astrophysicist. Dr. Jeff, I've heard about the anthropic principle. You and I know it's tremendously important. Mm -hmm. Tell us, tell me, tell the audience about the anthropic principle. What is it? Why is it so important? I think the way I would characterize it is this is basically it's a recognition that when we look at the universe, we see that it seems like it's designed for life to be here. Designed. Yes, I would say Ooh, designed. Wow, designed. Yes, so you know, we look at how the laws of physics work, for example. You know, when, if we're gonna talk about having life, you gotta have certain element, or certain things have to exist. You gotta have water for one. You've gotta have carbon for one. When you, when you then go in and scientists go look at how do the laws of physics operate, they can ask the question, what happens if things were a little bit different? And it turns out that if you tweak the laws of physics just a little bit, there's no hydrogen left in the universe. Well, with mm. no hydrogen, there's no water. You know, H2O, sure. that H is hydrogen. Mm -hmm. So little tweaks and you get no hydrogen left in the universe. Or if, if it's set up so that uh, the carbon is all formed basically in stars, and there's kind of two or three steps that if, again, if the laws of physics were just a little bit different, no carbon would form in the universe. And so if you have no carbon or no hydrogen, you're certainly not gonna get life in the universe. And so when we look at the laws of physics, they look like they're designed for life to be here. And there's examples when you look at the types of galaxies and what kinds of stars, and even the, the, the chemistry that goes on in, in, the, in the very cells of life themselves. A lot of fine tuning? Lots of fine tuning, yes. Uh, you know, one thing, one place where it shows up that I think is just fascinating is that when we look at the genetic code, you know, the, the, the thing that we just recently decoded yeah. of how does, how do life, the, the backbone of life, if you will, when you look at this, it's, it's actually a computer code that it operates a certain way that those letters tell things in the cells to do things a certain way. What is remarkable is that it lives in, or we live in an environment where that code can get changed, but you can do research and ask the question, how good does that code work in spite of errors that might crop up. And it turns out that the code is literally one in a million. I mean, we can look at a, a million other codes and the genetic code in all of life, it all uses the same genetic code, is better than a million other codes. That, that looks like it's designed. I'm told that in a human being, now uh, you set me right on this, there are three and a half or 3.4 billion bits of information. That's about, right, that's, about, that's how long the genetic code is. That, yes. that makes up the code of life. Correct. I well, think, in humans, it changes for different animals. But. but for humans. Right. And Francis Collins called it, I think, the language of God. Right. This is rather powerful evidence that there is a designer and that we're not a product of time plus matter plus chance. Is it not so? 
I think it certainly points to there being a mind behind all of this. You know, uh, you know, I, I've got a, a cell phone. Most people carry cell yeah, phones. Yeah. What I find remarkable about these is that really building a phone is not that hard. But if you want it to work when it's cold and when it's hot and after it's been dropped and when you go up in an airplane and down, there's a lot of things you have to do to make sure that as these errors creep in, it works the way it's supposed to. Well, because this phone works, we look and say, wow, this is the product of a mind. Something made this yes. with a purpose. Well, yes. when we look at the genetic code, I see that same sort of thing. All these errors that could pop up and the genetic code works incredibly well almost all the time. You know, not only that, it, you know, I, I'm a computer programmer and I write fairly sophisticated computer mm. codes. I'm sure you do. What I find <laughs> is that my codes are very simple compared to what's going on in the genetic code. Because not only does the code work reliably, it has multiple layers of code. It's kind of like every program I wrote, take every 10th letter and that's a whole program in and of itself. You know, so there's these o multiple layers of code built in. I mean, not that it I mean, you just look at things like that and it says, that looks like there's a mind behind this. I, I think that's just fascinating that it looks like it's the product of a mind. Uh, I heard a debate, I saw a debate between uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. and Dr. John Lennox. Dr. Lennox, I thought, made a telling point when he said, people today seem to be talking about nothing all the time because if you believe Dr. Dawkins, and others who are atheists, then the universe started with nothing. Mm -hmm. Either you have somebody, an intelligent being, that designed this marvelous universe, or else you go back and you say, well, it started by nothing. Mm -hmm. Now, help me here. I understand that in a millisecond after the point of creation, that mm -hmm. scientists call the Big Bang. Right there were, I think, four forces that came into being. Yes, well, there's the, the gravity, the electromagnetic force, and then two forces that operate inside uh, atomic nuclei. Is that the strong nuclear force? And the weak nuclear and force. And the weak nuclear force. Correct. Now, they were somewhat in a delicate balance, weren't they? Very much so, yes. Uh, you know, if, if gravity were a bit stronger, then the universe would have collapsed before it grew too large. When you say a bit stronger, it's a tiny amount, isn't it? Just a very tiny amount, especially very early in the universe. It had to be an exquisitely fine-tuned amount or else the universe would have just collapsed back on itself. And so you've got these incredible figures. I'm told they go into the trillions. Mm -hmm. You know, one quadrillionth of a quadrillionth of a quadrillionth. <laughs> I said this to your colleague, Dr. Ross, and I said, thinking I was being pretty knowledgeable, I said, Quadrillionth of a quadrillionth. And he said, no, there's another quadrillion. There's another quadrillion. <laughs> right. Of 1%. Yes. And so it seems to me, as it does to uh, Lennox and to your colleagues and to others who thought these issues through, that these things could not have happened by blind chance. We must be more than time plus matter plus chance. Now, I understand that you have done a lot of study with the multiverse theory. Correct. What is the multiverse theory? Well, basically it's the idea that our universe is just one amongst a whole bunch of them out there. Mm. You know, and we've talked here about how it looks like, you know, the universe very much appears to have a beginning. That's what the scientific evidence yes. seems to indicate at mm. this point. 
And the universe very much looks like it's designed for us to be here. And, you know, one of the things that the multiverse does is says, well, maybe there's a bunch of universes out there. So all of this design isn't yeah. real design at yeah. all. Maybe it's just, mm. we're just, we just happen to get very lucky. And yeah. the beginning yeah. is really nothing special. It's mm. kind of like Sunday. Mm. It's the beginning of the week, but there's uh -huh. going to be another beginning next week. And so my, my research into the multiverse was asking the question, if the multiverse exists, does it mean there's no beginning? And does it mean there's no design? I can give you the bottom line answer is that even in the multiverse, it still looks like there's a beginning and it still looks like it's designed. Well, even if you have one universe like ours, or if you have a trillion universes, you still come back to the basic question, where did it come from? I think that's a very fundamental question, yes. Uh, is it not true that the pagans used to have their foolish pagan gods and they would tell their, uh, their followers, the universe, everything came from these gods. Mm -hmm. You know, inanimate things, but every, this is what the Egyptians said. Everything came from these gods. Now today, we have people telling us the universe and everything, it didn't come from the gods, but it came from nothing. Well, some, some, some astronomers, or some scientists. Some scientists, yes. some scientists, yes. Those who, those who don't believe in the creator God. Well, it's, it's because they recognize a fundamental point, is that if the universe began to exist, something must have caused that beginning. Some of them do not like the idea that it might have been a personal God. So they're trying to say maybe something existed forever that is impersonal. It's not God, but something else has existed forever because that's, that's where you're forced to that conclusion. I was reading yesterday about the, uh, uh, the idea of Charles Darwin. And when he started this idea of evolution about 150 years ago, my sources said this, very few scientists believed that what he was saying was scientific. But the idea caught on was because it was such a wonderful idea. It was a wonderful idea because it made us autonomous from the creator. And man was therefore his own little master and he could do his own thing. Is it not possible today that many people choose not to believe the evidence because it is not convenient for them? To believe this i certainly think that does go on i mean you know again if you look at what scripture says in in romans it says what is evident about god is clear yes but men choose to suppress that and so i think there are very much some scientists who do not want there to be a god in fact some are so candid as to say that uh and so they're forced to only adopt models that don't have any sort of god in them you're a scientist what is your personal faith in christ all about my personal faith in Christ is that I truly believe that God is the creator, that he has set up this world in a certain way, that humanity chose to reject God, and the only way to restore that relationship is through Christ's death on the cross. The reason why I believe that is because I'm convinced it is the truth. And whatever else I'm doing, I want to have faith. I want to choose to believe what is true. And as I've studied the science and I've studied scripture, I am convinced that that is the truth. And Dr. Jeff, we say amen, and we thank God for you and for others like you. We want to thank you for joining us today here at the Carter Report. We pray that God is going to bless you, and we'd like to put this into your hands, our most recent magazine called Ebenezer. Here are some of the articles. Can bad be good, nothing too hard for God, signs of the times, why they buried the bishop on the sidewalk. There's an article 
on science and the Bible. Please write for it today. I want to thank you, Doctor, for the privilege of talking to you today. Thank you for coming to the Carter Report. You've not only blessed my soul, but the souls of many, many people. Thank you for joining us today. Till next time, goodbye, and God bless you.